Hello and welcome to the only podcast that's all about Fort Meade, our community, and life in the military. I'm your host, Joe Nieves. And I'm your co-host, Sherry Kuiper, and you're listening to Fort Meade Declassified. What season is it right now? It's uh, everyone's favorite season. It's PCS season. Oh, see, I thought we were going to say summer so we could go swimming and things like that. Oh, wait. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. We can't do any of that because of COVID. So polls aren't open yet. None of that. But Joe, you are absolutely right. PCS season, permanent change of station. How many PCS moves have you had? Ooh, um, I think five or six in my career. Okay. Yeah, something like that. It was it was quite a few. <laughs> so I've had four. And then my husband just PCS to his next duty station and we're doing the whole geo batching thing. So good times PCSing. Oh yeah. Always fun. I mean, and, and the many ways we PCS is always, uh, is always interesting, you know, whether you do a do it yourself move, you know, a ditty or, you know, you go the old fashioned route. It's always uh, it's always a challenge. I don't, I don't think any PCS move goes off without a hitch. So, you know, and then you got to take that and you got to couple it with everything that's going on now. So people aren't sure if they're going to PCS move, if, uh, if their ETS is going to go off right. There's, there's so many things going on. I know a ton of people have a ton of questions. We see them all the time at the town halls. Uh, you know, this has been a very interesting PCS season so far, to say the least. But I just sat down yesterday with uh, Ms. Jacqueline Sapp. She is the Fort Meade Installation Transportation Officer, and she handles PCS moves. So we uh, sat down yesterday and had a chat about not only the challenges that COVID is presenting for PCS moves, but also some useful hints, some tips and tricks, and things that we can all be doing to make the next PCS move a successful PCS move. With COVID going on and coronavirus, how much will the backlog of the moves due to COVID impact scheduling movers and et cetera moving forward with PCS moves? Um, the impact is, is going to be significant, and we're experiencing that already um, because the we are the processing office, and then we send it to the booking office. And the booking office that we – that service our installation services – 27 other installations at the same time. So with that being said, the booking um, is going to get tight. We were just on the teleconference, and they told us right now they are nothing before the 20th of July. So each week, you know, the the date is going to go further out, um, and that's what they call blackout dates. And those blackout dates are dates where the carriers are at full capacity, so with the stop movement being lifted, and, and now we're in July, all of the shipments that have been on hold since March are now, you know, in the queue on top of all of the other ones that are processed. So there is a tremendous backlog uh, of, um, of, of shipments, you know, being uh, processed to be moved uh, right now. These next probably 45 to 60 days are going to be critical for moving. So if the customers can move their dates, you know, further out, uh, then it, it'll be easier. But right now we're in, we're right in the, um, in the eye of the storm. 
And is there any priority given? How does that work? Because I'm assuming there's a lot of people who are still going to need the PCS regardless if their items can move at the same time or not. So is there any priority given to that list or anything like that? No, there's no priority. I, I, I do believe the priority is probably going to be based on all of those that were caught, you know, early on in the COVID that that had their you know, that may have had you know June dates. So what the stop movement has done, it, it created like a trickle effect. So what the booking office is going to be doing is booking those that were in the holding pattern first. You know, so they'll be you know in the holding pattern, they'll be the first ones out to be uh, packed out. Um, I do believe DHR is working with, uh, you know, service members to push their uh, report days further back for those that have not already moved, but for the for the members that are, you know, that, that they're working with. So the priority will be those that were caught in the early part of the COVID stop movement, and then they'll, they're working forward to the ones that are, that are being uh, processed right now. You said we're in the eye of the storm, and there's there's a huge backlog. There's something out there called a Diddy move. It's basically a move where we as uh, families and service members, they can move themselves. Yes. Is that beneficial right now? Is that something people should be thinking about? What are the advantages to doing a Diddy move now when everything's backed up the way it is? Okay, so the Diddy move is called a do-it-yourself move. And actually, they've changed the move now to PPM, which is a personally procured move, because now the service member can either opt to move it themselves or opt to get a moving company that can move them up to the cost that it would have cost them to move it themselves. The advantage to doing a a do-it-yourself move would be that the customer would have control over when they could move, you know, when they could vacate their residence, um, those types of things. So the customer, the service member would have uh, the um, reins on when they would be able to, you know, move. So they would have more of a controlling versus waiting for, you know, a carrier to become available to move their property. Um, it's It would be, you know, a lot of work, um, you know, for them to pack their household goods up. But the you know, the um, the flip side of that is the stressors will be taken off of them of not getting their move dates, you know, and things like that. So the, it, it puts the control of the move back into the hands of the service member. If if a service member in their family has the ability to do a Diddy move, is that something they should consider at this time to help alleviate yes. some of the backlog you're dealing with? Yes, do-it-yourself moves are, are mainly, you know, for, for stateside moves. And so, and yes, they can either move it, you know, uh, you know, get the rental truck and, you know, all of the, you know, all of the, um, you know, the, the charges that go along with that. Um, the service member would be reimbursed up to 95% uh, of their total cost. And then if they're, if they claim, you know, uh, state, if they're in a state that where they pay state taxes, then it will be taxed uh, according to, you know, the state that they're claimed uh, as their uh, home or record. And um, and then yes, they they would it would be based on the weight, so they would have to you know go through the process. So there is a um, a form of process that they have to go through to do a do-it-yourself move. But yes, I mean even to the point where if they get to the other end and they don't have a, um, you know a residence yet, they can still put that property in storage, and the storage costs up to 90 days would be reimbursed 
you know, to them along with, you know, um, with, with the rest of their uh, do-it-yourself move, their expenses for that move. So it, it really is a win-win situation if we have a customer that is in a timeline, a time crunch where they have to move, um, then and if they're, if we're just no dates at all and they, they don't have any wiggle room, um, then, yes, a do-it-yourself move would, would be uh, the, the, the backup way to go. Um, what we try to do is see if the service member can move forward and then see if they can allow the family member to stay behind and, you know, and to just be there for the pack out. But some of them don't want to do that. They want their family to move with them and, you know, that's their right and their choice. But we always, uh, offer them options. And if they can't get a government move, then a Diddy move is the other option that they can do. If I'm a service member and I'm like, you know what, this Diddy move sounds like what I need to do right now, first step, who do I go to? Yeah, so if they want to do a Diddy move, they basically, they can, you know, once they contact us and we'll let them know, and then they'll go into the move.mil, um, the self-counseling module, and then they'll, instead of selecting a household goods shipment, they'll just select the personally procured move, and then it'll go through, and it's based on a, the the cost that comes out in the system, um, is an estimated weight. Let's just say they're moving from Fort Meade to Fort Bend in Georgia. And if they don't have an address, you know, the system would calculate the uh, rate, you know, the government rate from, from Maryland to Georgia. And then based on the estimated weight, um, the, the estimated weight, you know, that they can put in the system and then it'll kick back the incentive. And if they're moving and using a, like a U-Haul or a rental truck, then they can draw what's called a move advance. They can draw an advance, and the advance is 60% of the cost that that the system kicks out because it's only estimated. And then we won't know the actual cost until the customer, you know, get to Fort Benning, submit their weight tickets, you know, and all of their receipts for all of their expenses, and then the transportation office at destination will uh, go into the system and do a calculation based on the actual weight and then, you know, readjust those numbers. And then if, you know, uh, if if their, you know, weight uh, was off, you know, if they move more than what they estimated, of course, you know, their incentive, their final incentive will be more um, minus the uh, tax. With COVID and coronavirus going on, a lot of people are very cautious about interacting with other people and staying away from people. Mm-hmm. So in a government move, in a traditional PCS move, I guess you could say, Movers come to your home and move your items for you. Are these movers, are they going to be wearing gloves and masks now? What does that situation look like? Okay, so when when there's a government move, the the transportation service provider, which we say TSP, you know, we always have acronyms. So the transportation (laughs) service provider slash carrier, you know, will uh, have to sign a certification. So there's a certification form that they have to certify that their persons have been, you know, um, tested for uh, uh, COVID-19. There's a requirement that um, they have to uh, wear face coverings and and masks, you know, to cover their face while they're packing uh, is not optional. Uh, I was just on a teleconference today, and that came up with one of our inspectors that said, well, the service member said that they don't have to wear a mask. Um, it's not up to the service member. That's a DOD, uh, uh, SDDC command uh, mandate. So that's a DOD policy. So the service the service mm-hmm. member does not have the option to let them know. Um, like with the uh, 
document that I provided to you. That's a DOD directive that they, uh, you know, all DOD, military, civilian, family members, contractors um, uh, are all required to wear uh, the face coverings and face masks while they are in the residence. What are some things that folks can do to protect their property during a PCS move? Unfortunately, we hear the horror stories, and as a military spouse myself, I've experienced what it feels like when you open up half your boxes and a lot of things are broken. It's just a very unfortunate side effect of moving. Um, So what are some things that folks who are getting ready to PCS should consider when it comes to protecting their property? Um, some of the things that they can do is, is prepare, um, prepare. If you have, you know, we buy TVs and electronics. If you have the original boxes, if you have the space to save them, um, you can put your items in, you know, back into the original packing. Um, if, you know, the customer, you know, pack items themselves, which we recommend not because that releases the carrier of liability. So um, we recommend that, um, you know, you allow the packers to pack. We understand that, you know, people have antiques and and things like that. If you have uh, high-value items, you may want to get, you know, an uh, appraisal, you know, an appraisal uh, document to document the value of those items. Um, You know, if if you're shipping antiques and things like that, if you have a lot of, uh, glass and crystals is good to let uh, the carrier know up front so they'll know how to bring the proper packing material. But um, basically is to watch them just to make sure that they're not just throwing the stuff in the box. And, you know, if they are, you know, we have quality control inspectors that come out, you know, but they, you know, they are periodically, you know, going around. So they're not there for the entire uh, shipment. But basically is to ensure that those packers, watch those packers, Make sure that um, that they are, are packing uh, the, the um, your glassware and wrapping them, you know, in the in the paper and and properly, uh, you know, packing them. Um, it, it's kind of like a joint effort. And right now, uh, the government has the TSP carrier. They have to do full replacement value, so the carrier is a little. Sometimes they are a little more cautious. Because they are at, they're they're on the hook for full replacement value of the items, and that goes back to me saying to get you know some type of certificate of authentication if you have you know antiques or you know high value items or collectibles things like that um, that you can they can you know get the uh, uh, appraised value so that if those items get damaged, then. Um, um, you know, they'll be able to get the full replacement value. But if the packer, you know, some people just want to pack their own things. If they want to pack them, <clears throat> they can pack them and leave the boxes open and, and let the packers inspect to make sure. Um, but packages that are packed by the customer relieves the carrier of responsibility because they didn't pack it. So that's why we say if you're going to, you know, let them pack them, um, and then that way they'll they'll be responsible for the damages. Um, yeah, you can they can organize and have things in order and, and organize and things like that. But the key is to just make sure that that they're completely you know they just float around through the house and look to make sure that that their that their goods are being handled uh, in the right way. Absolutely. And then there's also nothing preventing a person for you know if they have some 
special items from them moving them themselves and putting them in their own vehicle as well. Correct. Correct. Yes, they can they can do yes. yeah, they if they're not comfortable with with that, then they also can do a, a partial what they call a, a partial do it yourself move if they want to move their high value items themselves. Um the only thing we inform them is is uh you could be subject to excess costs because you're doing two lots versus one. So what the government would do is just uh do a cost comparison to have shipped those items all together or ship them separate, you know, and normally you don't get into excess costs unless they exceed their weight. Is there any special insurance requirements, um, anything like that that uh, families should consider or service members should consider when PCSing? Um, I would say uh, only if they have some very high value, high dollar value items you know, like, again, like antiques and collectibles, because, you know, for for the carrier, they are insured, you know, the, the shipments are insured for up to a certain amount for replacement value. Um, so they, the, the carrier know that, that they are responsible for it, so the, the government makes the carrier uh, have the onus of handling the um, person's uh, property you know, in a in a good manner, so there will be no damage. And if there is damage, the carrier is the one because the customer files the claim directly with the carrier, and the carrier is the one that will have to pay the claim out. So they have to have their own. But uh, you don't necessarily customer don't necessarily have to have any type of additional insurance unless they just you know have a lot of high value items and they just want to take out that additional insurance. If I were to have to give an advice, I would just say uh, plan as far out as you can. Have uh, Be flexible. Um, if you have unique moving instances, because everybody's move is different. Um, you know, if you have unique uh, uh, movement circumstances uh, with your move, the earlier you contact us, the better. Um, and that way we can give you advice, we can give you options you know, uh, things that, you know, you may not have thought of because, you know, moving is a high-stress time. And and so we, you know, we give options. Well, you know, you, you, you're you not authorized to do this, but you may want to do this or that. So, you know, we can give more options that a mover may not, I mean, a customer may not think about, you know, when they're in, 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 the, in that transition period. Um, as soon as you get your orders, contact the transportation office and start planning, you know, and backward plan. And always leave, we say always leave about a week worth of wiggle room time. Um, we get people to come in, i got to be out by this day, I've already given notice, and that's one of the things that we say, please, please, please do not give notice to your renter until you're sure that your move date is confirmed because that would just add much more stress to try to move out because sometimes, you know, if we can't get dates, the member has to move their property out of the residence into a storage facility and then they get packed out out of a storage facility. And, of course, you know, Mm -hmm. the more times you handle the property, you know, the more you're susceptible to damage. A lot of those stressors can be alleviated if the customer would just, you know, contact us and say, hey, you know, I, I got a question. You know, ask the questions. That's what we're there for. So that was some great information about about PCSing. Um, uh, I, I invite our, our listeners to go back and, and re-listen to it when they have time, uh, because you know uh, Diddy moves or the new PPMs, you know the personally procured moves, 
Um, though that's really important uh, if that's the route you want to go. Uh, so, and, and especially if you want to do a partial ditty, uh, you know, go back, listen to what she has to say, um, because I know uh, whether you're PCSing now or maybe after this, uh, the COVID season is gone and we're beyond this point, uh, I suggest you keep that information handy. It's, it's good for you. One of the first things she said with COVID-19 and PCSs and the backlog, they're in the eye of the storm right now. And, you know, you know, it's calm in the eye of the storm and then it becomes not calm and the storm hits. So there are, there's going to be a backlog. It's not their fault. It's just, it's just the way it is right now. So be flexible, be patient and, and just roll with the changes. On, a, on another note, uh, you know, we're talking about transitioning and uh, change uh, amidst, amidst everything that's going on. Um, I hear there's some uh, some interesting changes coming to Coon Hall, and, and I'm sad to say that I don't know what Coon Hall is. I wasn't around before, uh, but I'm here now, and things are things are changing. Uh, Sherry, Sherry, what is Coon Hall? Well, don't feel bad. Coon Hall is a project that's been around since gosh, 2011. By the time it's done, it will have gone through several garrison commanders. Coon Hall was originally the post hospital. The building was originally built in the 1930s. It's down on Llewellyn, um, next to the chapel, near um, headquarters. And basically what has happened is the community, or a community organization rather, has raised millions of dollars and gifted Fort Meade the renovation of this building. And it's gonna become the Education and Resiliency Center. And Mary Doyle from the Public Affairs Office has the story. Any renovation project starts with some demolition. Just, just whack away, huh? Jay Baldwin, treasurer of the Fort Meade Alliance, Fort Meade Alliance Foundation, was just one of the people who had a chance to leave their mark on a project that has been relentlessly pursued for more than 10 years. This is a fantastic start to what I think is a great project that's going to finish and uh, add so much value to not only Fort Meade but the community as well. By the time this facility opens its doors next year, six Fort Meade garrison commanders will have worked to make this renovation project a reality. The sledgehammer was used to punch holes in the walls of Coon Hall, which, when finished, will be the new Fort Meade Education and Resiliency Center, a $3.8 million renovation project funded entirely by a gift from the Fort Meade Alliance and the Fort Meade Alliance Foundation. Dion Vergitz, the president of the Fort Meade Alliance Foundation, was there from the beginning. We really need to focus on increasing the services uh, that are available, um, making them more efficient, connecting them across the installation, better connecting all of the services that are available in the community so that the community can be a part of, of um, the, those that are on the installation. And so that's how the idea of Coon Hall uh, really was uh, was born. Vergut says the Fort Meade Alliance is a nonprofit community-based organization with memberships of over 254 businesses representing up to 200,000 employees in the region. 
The foundation focuses on four areas, military and family members, transportation, businesses that support the installation. And then the fourth um, would be education and workforce. And, and this really is the, all the way from pre-K in uh, kindergarten all the way up through uh, the advanced uh, education through colleges and universities in the area, making sure we have a strong, vibrant uh, pipeline and workforce to support all the critical missions at Fort Meade. With education in mind, after meeting with multiple experts involved in providing mental health, wellness, religious, and resiliency support, an idea began to take shape around a variety of needs. So bad, I'm sure I'll hit something other than the hole. <laughs> right. Whenever you're ready, we are ready. Oh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's awesome. Hi, I am Beverly Maliner, Colonel, uh, United States Army Medical Corps, retired. Colonel retired Beverly Maliner was Chief of Preventative Medicine at Fort Meade when she was involved in early discussions about the center and what services would be provided there. A vulnerable population requiring our support. The, the non uniformed population was as much at, uh, in need as the uniformed population. And it took us about two years to completely change our thinking and our languaging to create a new norm where the at-risk population included our civilians, our family members, our, our uh, children, our whole family units, and our contractors as part of an integrated population in, in, that would benefit from what we had to offer for later thinking, which resulted in us coming up with the idea of a resilient center, which would house resources to support the entire population, family units, and sense of community at Fort Meade, because we're fully aware that resilience requires both access and connections, and we needed the community to feel connected to each other. So it's wonderful to be here as part of the wall breaking, as we finally have Secretary of Army approval to create this center and to move forward. Good. That was really good. Is that good? Eventually, the Alliance settled on the idea of finding ways to coordinate existing resources to maximize benefits. There were lots of places service members, civilians, and their families could go for help, both on post and off. The challenge was to help people find the best help for the specific problem they were trying to solve. Dion Vergutz. You can go to a single place, uh, and from there, through counselors and, and, um, and other uh, help, be, be guided off to these other services throughout the post. And so that's where the the idea came from, uh, and that was where we, uh, the Formian Alliance uh, and the Foundation, made our commitment uh, with the garrison that we would be their partner in helping this idea um, come to life. Spelled K-U-H-N, Kuhn Hall was named after Lieutenant General Joseph Kuhn, commander of the 70th Infantry Division, the first unit formed on Fort Meade during World War One. Prior to eventually becoming the installation's Education and Resiliency Center, Coon Hall was a distinguished visitor's quarters. And then, for many years, it stood empty, waiting for a purpose. Coon Hall is just a beautiful, historic building from the 1930s. And 
it it was in dire need of renovation. It was it was not occupied, um, and it was not ADA compliant, uh, and really wasn't able to 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 be beneficial for really any services on the installation. And so it, it you know it's a beautiful three story uh, build a three floor building, and and that when we started to look at the requirements. Um, for the education resiliency uh, hub and spoke, and then looking at that building, it became a perfect uh, a perfect facility for us to um, to renovate. And and it's it's conveniently located next to the next to the Army Wellness Center. It's conveniently located to the um, the Post Chapel, beautiful Burba Lake. However, you know, in looking at at Coon Hall, it needs a complete makeover on the inside. The Meat Alliance Foundation went to work. They raised the money, came up with designs, worked through the very long and complicated Army acceptance process, and pushed those requirements through multiple layers of Army echelons, until finally the Secretary of the Army's office approved the project. I'm Dutch Rubersberger. And I'm here in Fort Meade, Maryland, to celebrate the transformation of this historic building. It's a community effort with enthusiastic support from many quarters. Congressman Dutch Rupersberger. Once this construction is completed, this facility will not only offer services to our military, but to our civilian workers, our veterans, and all of their families. I'm really looking forward to taking that sledgehammer, instead of a shovel, instead of a scissor for ribbon cutting, to start this project. Ready? Three, two, and... How did that feel? That <laughs> feels good. For the Fort Meade Public Affairs Office, I'm Mary Doyle. That's it for this episode of Fort Meade Declassified. Be sure to follow us on social media or download the Fort George G. Meade app from the App Store. Please be sure to visit our website at home.army.mil forward slash Meade for up-to-date information on COVID-19.